You are now listening to Kiss or Kill, Confessions of a Serial Climber by Mark Twain. Kiss or Kill I've always dreamed that I would die being eaten by rats. Maybe I've read Orwell's 1984 once too often. Indeed, 1984 was the beginning of my descent into the black depths of extreme alpinism. This obsession destroyed my relationships, drove me into depression, and changed me from a happy, future, hopeful young man into an embittered cynic. In 1984, I went to the Eiger because it was the most radical, dangerous climb I could imagine myself doing. To prepare, I backed away from everything except the mountain and my ambition. They were all that mattered. Relationships that were incomplete or inconsequential were cut away. I consolidated my power by not sharing it. Sure, I'm a self-centered asshole, but being obsessed is something not easily shared nor is it often appreciated. I suppose it came from the music. Joy Division taught me that cynicism is okay. Ian Curtis, the band's vocalist, was so consumed by it that he hung himself as a solution. Johnny Rotten stated that, the future is a pointed stick, so why bother? The young punks and the music generated in me such a vehement intolerance of stupidity and mediocrity that extremism became my solution kiss or kill. The Eiger wasn't enough. Alaska wasn't enough. The wild soloing didn't do it either. No matter what I did, the suffering I experienced did not satisfy me. I had to have more. Then I met Jeff Lowe. Jeff is 10 years my senior. He's not into my scene. In fact, he used to be a hippie. Being so young, I don't know exactly what that means, but I suspect that the hippies were basically punks that weren't angry. Mind you, Jeff is intense, although without my kind of dark intensity. He wouldn't have a birthday party where all the guests wear black. I don't care about the cash. I don't care about life's necessary accessories. I only care when provoked. I care about climbing, period. Jeff invited me to Kangtega and Nupsi. New routes, Mark. Hard, high, unknown ground. I'd met Jeff once before. I knew he was good. I accepted. With only 10 days notice, I cut off everything that might have held me back. I am very good with the knife now. 12 days after Jeff's call, I arrived in Kathmandu, which is a third world cesspool no matter what the travel books allege. I hated it and couldn't wait to get out. But I had to wait because there are no schedules. There are no exceptions made for climbers, and the bureaucrats do not understand ambition, which one does not profit from, which they do not profit from. I hated Kathmandu, but I understood it. The crying souls, the poverty, the futurelessness. This condition disgusts some, enlightens all, and inspires others to join the Peace Corps to help. As I trudged through the filth, I understood it. Entire chapters of expedition tombs dwell on the approach toward the kombu. That horse is well flogged, but it's no longer necessary because the approach has been modernized. Now we fly to Lukla, above the leeches, above the wasted landscapes, above the porter hassles. 
Both Jeff and I came down with amoebic dysentery in Lukla and spent three days weekly laughing at each other as we alternately vomited and shat without control. Feverish, shivering, always hoping it would end. Two high altitude athletes driven to their knees by something microscopic, too poetic. Now that was suffering. I flip on the skinny puppy tape. Yeah, what's it matter? Base camp was langoriously pitched at 14,000 feet among blossoms and boulders, with waterfalls that lulled us to sleep at night and birds to wake us at dawn. Waxing eloquent? Lying. Base camp was at 14,000 feet, but we'd come too high, too fast, and headaches shrieked like jackhammers. Our stomachs hadn't adjusted to the food, and the only birds to be seen were crows the size of baseball mitts. We gave them anything they wanted. We wasted no time at Kangtega Base Camp, moving immediately up to Labouche Village, beneath the mighty Labouche Peak. We intended to acclimate. The collection of stone shelters awakened new states of disgust in me. A trekking group had pitched their toilet tent over the water supply. Raw sewage polka-dotted the few campsites, and western garbage, American garbage, was piled high everywhere. Yeah, I felt like a gringo. Yeah, I felt sick. After climbing the peak, I left the others behind and ran away. I ran 10 miles back to Kangtega Base Camp. I couldn't embrace what our presence had done to that awesome place. I had to escape. I had to forget. So I drank. I drank all that I could. I crawled semi-conscious from my tent on hands and knees, and I vomited long and hard. Morning found me half in and half out of my sleeping bag. I was hungover, but I felt cleansed. That same morning, we started up King Tega, an epic that lasted through ten long and hungry nights. I knew I'd get up the mountain, but a voice inside sadly assured me that it would not be enough. I returned to base camp lean and wasted. The warm-up climb had worn me out. I needed rest, but never got it. On May 7th, we began trekking toward the apocalypse. At anxious last, I saw it. The southeast spur of Nupsi was terrifyingly beautiful. It had the elegance of a Halston dress and the aggressiveness of a metal-studded dog collar. There was a hollow feeling in my stomach. It became an ache. The ache became a stabbing pain. I fell to the rocks, clutching my frightened head in my hands. I wanted like I had never wanted before. Oh, precious ambition that feeds me, I worship your power with emotional violence. I am struck down by watching angels and paralyzed by haunting fear in the final hour. I must go to the wall, driven by anger, by anguish, by anxiety. Oh, precious ambition, I just want to die with a smile on my face. You never run out of batteries for that thing, do you? Jeff pointed at my Walkman. It'd be poor style to run out of batteries. Besides, it's my survival mechanism. When the going gets tough, the tough turn up the volume. The avalanches had a tremorous effect on my bowels. The sustained primal groan excited my fight or flee reaction, even when nothing could be achieved by either. We were quite safe out on the spur. We continued upward day after day. It was enjoyable. It was horrifying. Always it was painful. 
I was a drowning man climbing desperately, pushing, demanding, trying to lose my mind in my body. I may be possessed, I may be obsessed, but I can fill, I can love just like the rest of you. I didn't have a Walkman with me, so I sang, and I suffered when Jeff did. The storm hissed against my bivy tent. We were burned. It couldn't kill us, but it was fierce enough to stop us. We'd climbed 4,000 feet toward clear skies until the seventh day when it began to snow. I pushed one more pitch into the spindrift and wind on the morning of the eighth day. At the top, I set a rappel anchor and dropped back to the belay for a decision. At 1 p.m., we began descending. At 6 p.m., the next day, we walked into base camp with no hardware left, no food or fuel, no bivouac gear, and nothing material to show for our desperate act of volatile ambition. All we had was a resolve to return in November. There is a damp smell in my tent. I stare at the waxy yellow ceiling and turn myself inward. Introspection that eventually ends in pain. Back in the city, the darkness stalks me with cold skill. I dash down bombed out streets through a hard and dirty rain. Pavement scatters as my feet pound beneath the cliffs of buildings, soaring into the filthy mist. I see faces that carry the marks of strain, faces that wear weariness like lumps of clay, tired, danceless faces. I see people who are stained and damp with ashtray breath like the smell of decay. Everywhere I look, I see hope that's been smothered by deadly routine, and I see the rats hunting. I remember the mountain from a distance, and I try to convince myself that the rats will not catch up to me. At long, horrible last, I am truly suffering. Thanks for listening to the Purpose in Being podcast. Please like and subscribe if you enjoyed. Links and details are in the show notes. This is an adaptation of Mark Dwight's book, Kiss or Kill. I'm leaving out quite a bit, so if you enjoy it, please pick up the official book. To find out more about Mark, go to markdwight.com. I'm recording this podcast in the van that I live in and learning as I go, so if you have any suggestions or advice, reach out. Here is a snippet of Mark Twight's podcast, The Dissect Podcast. The stability of condition. And if someone in their real life wants to be a certain way for the rest of their life, mm -hmm. they can't make the radical change to get there. It has to be slow, incremental, not just because these the, the small changes are more sustainable, but because the, you're reinforcing the habits, the actions, the thinking, the sensitivity mm -hmm. that will allow you to maintain that for a long time.